Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight is our lead regular panelist, Bruce Garrick. Hello, gamers! We're also, once again, joined by two first-time guests, two gentlemen I've been very excited to get on the show. First, we have a friend of the show and Boston-area game developer, Darius Kazami, the author behind TinySubversions.com. Darius, welcome to the show at long last. I am super excited to be here. Super excited to have you. Um... Finally, we welcome my editor at PC Gamer and a brother fencer and Red Wings fan, Evan Lotti. Evan, good to have you on the show. How's it going, Rob? How about them Blackhawks? Oh, fuck you. <laughs> oh, God. This is just, oh, my God. My winter's turned to shit. Like, You've lost I, I was, five in a row. Yeah, and they weren't doing hot before that. I've, it's really utterly depressing. It's bears like, in fact. Yeah. They're there. Uh, so it's, I was really looking forward to a great run to the playoffs with the Hawks and the Blues and the, uh, and the uh, wings trading places, but now the Hawks seem to be out of that race, so yeah, die in a fire. All right. <laughs> uh, so, as many of you know, uh, Calypso just released a game called Jagged Alliance Back in Action. Uh, it's a new take on Jagged Alliance 2, and I hesitate to call it a remake because it is so clearly doing its own thing, but it does reuse the same setting and story of the original Jagged Alliance 2, a game that many of us regard as a masterpiece of tactical RPG wargaming. Uh, So it seems like now is a good time to finally devote a show to Jagged Alliance 2 because it's worth reconsidering what made that game so special uh, now that someone has gotten around to reappropriating it. Uh, So Darius, I thought we'd start with you because I think I've seen you call it your favorite game of all time. Now you've played a lot of games and uh, loved a lot of them, but what sets Jagged Alliance 2 apart? Well, uh, yeah, so I guess for me my history of Jagged Alliance 2 was... um, uh, it, it, it was, and I have to go into my history a little bit with this. Um, uh, I remember just downloading the demo blind, or maybe I got it off a PC Gamer demo disc in 1998 or something. That that yeah. seems highly likely. Um, and I remember installing it, and it was just an amazing demo. It was it was wonderful. It was uh, it was one map. Uh, well, I guess it had two levels to it, and uh, so I guess it was two maps technically. But the second map was a secret, and it was just one of these great '90s demos that just had so much content. I played it. Prob- I was in high school. I played it probably every single night for a year. I would just play through this map over and over again, just mastering it. Um, and uh, and so Jagged Alliance Two, when it came out, I was there the day of to purchase it at the you know I don't know electronics boutique or whatever the hell we had back then. Um, and uh, uh, so it was something that I I looked forward to, and I I was afraid that it wouldn't meet the expectations set by the demo. But then when I played it, it was just this massive. It was. Uh, it was the. I think it was really um, the second open world game that I'd ever played after the first Fallout. Perhaps um, uh, it was. Um, it was expansive, and I just loved the way that it brought RPG elements and tactical strategy together, and um, uh, and great humor and voice acting. I think the characters in the game are better characters than I've seen in any other game. Like, if you asked me what my favorite... Someone asked me recently what my favorite video game character was, and I had to answer Ivan from Jagged Alliance 2 uh, with probably his his uh, nephew Igor as a close, mm-hmm. close second. And 
these are characters who who only express their personality through a couple of bits of flavor text and um, uh, some RPG dialogue, which was all uh, unique depending on who you used to talk to whom, um, and then barks, just AI barks in the middle of combat. Um, and the fact that they managed to make such amazing characters, like 50 of them or something, uh, uh, was just incredible. And I learned later, talking to developers who worked on it, that it was mostly voice actors, like their friends and family. You know, they would just get them together and they would base, um, uh, you know, uh, one of the characters, uh, Buzz, was based off Brenda Brathwaite. Um, and another character, Ice, was uh, based off of her husband at the time. Um, and... Uh, they based the portraits kind of off them, and they, they did a lot of the voice acting and uh, based their personalities, too. Um, it's really incredible. I just... Uh, it has it has so much more of a tactical depth. depth. Um, uh, it really hits a lot of those narrative sweet spots for me, too. Yeah, going, going to the re- relationship thing, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up first, because one thing I really remember... Um, now, I don't remember the characters' names a- as well as I should, but I remember there was this, like, this husband and wife team of mercs that you could hire... Uh, you bought them separately, but they were husband and wife, so you could like put them on, put them on a mission together. But the thing is, you, you got these weird combinations in the squads. So you recruit all these mercs, you put them in squads, and you sort of send them around to liberate this uh, oppressed island nation. And I just had this entire little drama play out where uh, the husband and wife were in the same squad, and then I also had them partnered with this, I don't know, just some dude who had been perfectly innocuous before that. But he just starts, he just starts macking on this guy's wife, like, <laughs> relentlessly. Um, and th- the husband just gets angrier and angrier and angrier, like, I'm going to kick that guy's ass if he doesn't stop flirting with my wife. Yeah. And uh, then eventually, I think that culminated in, I got the husband killed. Um, he, like, he, he, just, he just got wasted on a mission. And so the wife is like, oh, honey, oh, my God, I, I'm sorry. And, and the guy immediately is like, I'll comfort you, baby. <laughs> yeah, it, it's there's incredible moments like that. There's another ex-husband and ex-wife who, if you put them on the same team, there's just hilarious results. The first squad I ever put together had, um, I guess it was Fox and, uh, 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 what's her name, uh, Buns. So, like, the prim and proper older school marm and this, like, foxy young lady. And I thought, oh, I'd just make a team of mostly ladies. And so I put them together, and they hated each other. And I was like, wow, I'd, I'd never had a, I never had game characters react to you know each other like this in such a such an uh, I don't know. It, it just seems like they had all these. They must have planned out all these relationships um, uh, and recorded all the dialogue for them. It was incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the sort of thing. I mean, no other developers really run away with that concept. Partly because it's pretty complex, pretty incongruent. There's you know they had to record all these specific lines of dialogue. But I'm surprised that like. Mass Effect doesn't have some equivalent thing where Garrus is talking with, uh, you know, one of the female characters. Oh, God, or that would be the something. best thing. Yeah. Um, do you guys remember, I mean, did those relationships sort of manifest in, like, stat bonuses or as well? I can't remember. The, um, the, the relationships do affect morale, which indirectly affects your stat bonuses. So if you put a bunch of people together on the same team who really like each other, um, that can be a big morale bonus, which then is kind of a general bonus to your whole team, and vice versa for people right. who hate each other. Well, and if I recall correctly, morale's kind of was kind of a sticky variable, <clears throat> so it wouldn't like change in an instant. It wasn't like a chemical reaction where immediately a squad like gets dysfunctional. It happened over time. So if you like let a squad just let these squabbles go on and on, 
Like, your, your squad's morale would drop really low. And I, if I recall, like, once morale was really low, your squad was basically ineffective. I remember the moment, yeah. I, the moment I heard Ivan going like, <laughs> okay... Fine. <laughs> I knew. I knew we were gonna lose whatever fight we were in because they just weren't going. They weren't going to fight for fight for shit. Yeah, I mean, there are ways to make your morale spike low. Um, like uh, just try killing a child uh, while you're on your on a mission, right? Because you can do that, and um, uh, and basically the good people on your squad will immediately drop to zero, while like the psychopaths will be like unaffected. Um, it's <laughs> really morale, it's really interesting. Did morale also go up when you went to the brothel? Yes, that was one way to increase. That was one way to increase your morale was to yeah go to the brothel. <laughs> I was I was just thinking also about one of my probably my favorite bit of characterization in a video game ever because it's so subtle but it's so incredible. Um, is uh, so there's the character Ivan who's from I think he's from the first game even I never actually played the first yeah, he, Dragon he, Alliance. He's from the first game. A lot of those guys are from the first game. Yeah. Buzz is from the first game. Uh, right. Buns also yeah. So, so Ivan's from the first game, and so he's coming back, and they expect the fans to know him. Um, and he's an awesome character, and he speaks in mostly in Russian. He barely speaks any English, and even the subtitles are in Cyrillic, which is pretty cool. Um, and um, but his his a new character in Dragon Alliance Two is his nephew Igor, uh, and um, Igor is um, uh, he's like you know up and coming. He really wants to follow in his uh, in his uncle's footsteps. And all they say in the bio is essentially that, right? He just really wants to follow his uncle's footsteps, and his English is better than his uncle's. Um, and I think that's all they say. But when you play with Igor, you realize slowly over time that every single thing he says is a quote from a terrible action movie. Um, like, like uh, you know, Wait, Steve, really? like, yeah, all of his dialogue is from, like, Under Siege. Oh, God! Um, and, like, um, I mean, he, I mean, he's also got dialogue from, like, aliens. When he sees the alien creature things, he, he'll go, game over, man, game over! But, um, uh, but, uh, yeah, every piece of his dialogue, or almost all of it, <laughs> is from a terrible action movie. So you get this picture of this kid who grew up watching his mercenary uncle and just immersed himself in action movies you know his whole life and that's how he learned english was through action movies and that's why he speaks in this weird stunted oh way i never realized that it, it, prob- it, it probably took me like a hundred hours of playing that before i before it occurred to me well also i mean i i my, my i think my parents wouldn't let me watch steven seagal yeah actually like, was, bruce willis was, was cool but steven seagal it was like we're not going to slum it it was probably seagal. it was probably like 10 years later i was watching a movie and i was like hey he stole that line from wait a minute <laughs> so so bruce i wanted to bring it around to you because now you said before when we were planning the show that you wrote 6000 words on this that, when it came out something like that I so think. so it got a good review it got a good review. Now I, you know, I came to the game from I played the heck out of the first game, uh, and I actually played the first game in the uh, the best possible way that you can play any single player game is with two people, which is where we'd have like um, one person would drive, and the other person would just uh, you know make comments and and tell him what to do and say, you know, you know, move Grunty over there, move Grunty over there. And you're like, no, 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 he's going to get killed. I just don't know. He's like, no, move him there. And he'd say, fine. And then you get killed and be like, why'd you move him there? That was stupid. So um, a friend of mine and I went through that whole thing. And the, and the thing that the two games show is uh, the end games are ridiculously hard. Oh, my God. And uh, the, that's not something just from Jagged Alliance 2. Jagged Alliance 1, the original was just like that. And I think uh, Jagged Alliance 2 just ramps it up uh, I don't know that I actually 
successfully completed the uh, the science. I think I got through the the non science fiction one, and then was like, fine, I'm done with this. I can't go <laughs> through that whole end game again. So, um, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I really liked it, but I, I came at it with uh, with you know like a total fan perspective, uh, and um, you know that the uh, the real time sort of uh, plausible real time was a was a completely new thing to the game. Um, although I think I played the whole thing, the, the combat you had to play in in in, in uh, turn based. Is that am I recalling that correctly? Right. The moment you made contact, yeah. I think it it went into turn based mode, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's impossible to do real time combat. Right. Okay. Got it. the uh, there was there was, it, it's just it's a much bigger game than uh, than the original. Uh, so much so that I found it almost a little overwhelming. Uh, I, the, when I when I wrote six thousand words for uh, of uh, review, that was for um, that was for Games Domain back in the day when uh, you know they were publishing. Basically, we just wrote all the stuff. I mean, it, it, in in a way, uh, <clears throat> you know, they call it I think lazy writing, and in the, another way, it was pretty much very much what those uh, uh, what, what the audience wanted and enjoyed. And I actually just uh, I think like two days ago got a. a, a uh, private message on the quarter to three board saying, "Hey, uh, thanks for your uh, uh, reviews on Games Domain, especially your Jagged Alliance two review." Uh, I'm like, okay, well, I, I mean, I really appreciate it. I just uh, never hadn't thought about it, and then I went back and and looked and saw that yeah, that thing was uh, like fifty seven hundred words. The uh, the whole game. Uh, you know, the, the I assume this is no longer a spoiler when I say that uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> there's a that there's a completely different ending to it. I didn't really like the uh, the whole um, the whole alien. What did you guys okay. think of that uh, whole thing too? Okay, so let's let's back up for our listeners here because so I never actually did the sci-fi campaign because I oh. tried it once and I didn't see any difference. Like the campaign <laughs> starts the same. Yeah, it, show, yeah it shows it's, up in like, like three end. towns in, uh, yeah. basically. Not, okay, yeah. so 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 the the base game is you're contracted to liberate this island nation, and that's really cool. We should talk about the campaign in a minute, but so yeah, it's basically a straight up like guerrilla war, uh, fought with mercenaries. But then there's the sci-fi campaign, which I just figured would like would, would be different weapons, but nothing was different when I played it. What what goes different in, differently in the sci-fi campaign? Well, so the the sci-fi campaign is where the alien bugs come at you. Um, so you'll essentially uh, there are like as you play through the campaign, there are sort of like timed events that that get triggered when you enter certain areas of the map or whatever. I'm not sure exactly what they are, but um, you see at some point you see some cutscene with the queen who you're trying to depose, and she's mentioned something about forbidden experiments or what have you, um, and. When you get to your first, or maybe the second, uh, I mean, I say first or second, you can go anywhere you want on the map, but when you get to a, a particular mining town, you start to hear about these, uh, you know, horrible creatures in the mines, and you go in there, and it's aliens. It's straight up, um, like, H.R. Giger monsters from aliens that, like, soak a zillion damage, and they actually give you a reason to carry hollow point rounds. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and you get amazing dialogue from your uh, from your players as well, and from your characters when you when they see these monsters for the first oh time. God. So, does that have like a fully developed like campaign? Like, is there an end game to that? Yeah, there is. I I don't. I, I mean, I remember killing the queen bug, but I don't remember there being like a particular ending to that. I think there was. I mean, there might have been. <laughs> I, yeah. I, it wouldn't surprise me if this game had surprises in store for me uh, ten years later. 
Yeah, I think there was a whole thing to that. I, I have to say, I, I, I'm uh, that's the impression I got. But then again, I said I never finished that that arm of the thing because I didn't really. I, I thought the thing, uh, the whole aliens. Uh, uh, branch sort of took me out of what I was expecting for the, from the game, and I, yeah. I didn't really like the way it went. So, which is I've, fine. I mean, I've only ever played sci-fi mode, so I think it's really just like an extensive side quest. And when you beat the alien queen, uh, some people thank you and stuff. But I don't think it's like a separate ending to the game. Oh yeah, yeah right, right. Okay, yeah, got it. Okay, I understand. Um, but uh, actually, are you guys aware of the secret, secret ending where you can finish the game in like uh, maybe a few turns? Not a few turns, but very, very quickly. No. Yeah, I've I've seen that on YouTube. You yeah. Basically, you bring like a demolitions expert to the last level or something. Oh, I haven't heard this one. Uh, this is this is actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's like that involves going to the last level. There's a way to beat the game where, um, so early in the game, it you discover these people who are selling uh, "We Love the Queen" T-shirts, right? And, you're, and they're actually inventory items, and you can wear them, and they're useless as armor. And you're like, "Why the hell would I ever wear one of these?" But if you wear them, no uh, the en- the enemies are much more likely to offer you a chance to surrender. And you may have encountered this when playing, right? Sometimes the enemies will be like, "You can still surrender," and you're always like, uh, "No," right? Yeah. Um, uh, but if you say yes, um, your squad goes away, and you're like, "Oh fuck, I guess they're gone forever." Um, but um, what happens is, well, like maybe a while later, like many many days later, while you're playing, it'll just turn to this cutscene, and you'll see one of your mercs from that squad um, tied to an interrogation chair, getting interrogated by the queen herself. And um, and you know, after she slaps you around a little bit, she leaves the room. And essentially, you can do what amounts to a strength check to break your bonds. And if you're badass enough, you can, like, grab a knife off a table, like, run past the two guards who are in there, like, kick down the door, and just knife her to death and win the game. It's really? a valid win state for the game. It's ridiculous. Wow. Oh yeah. My God. That's like the Northwest Passage. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, just the fact that these kind of scenarios exist kind of give you a sense of... Uh, the way the game was developed. I mean, these, you can just imagine like a group of guys, a group of people having these kind of harebrained ideas and no one's telling them no. And like, I mean, this is a sort of thing that I feel like would, would be, you know, if there was, this was an end state and say fallout three or something, it would be much more evident. It would be out in the open. Yeah. It would be, you know, presented in some like formal way, but this is content that like people set aside time and effort to program and develop. But I don't know, maybe probably more than half the players that play the game never even saw. Like, I'd never heard of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know? uh, very few people know about it. Uh, putting my developer hat on, you know, I don't think there's... I think I don't think it's a coincidence that this game and Deus Ex came out in, like, a two-year period. Or, like, a one... Like, within a year of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think both of those games were released in a kind of sweet spot that occurred in the late 90s, early 2000s, when we had in, enough um, kind of horsepower and, you know, um, uh, sort of industry knowledge to make, like, I mean, we were making complex games for a long time. You can look at the Ultimas and stuff, but um, uh, I think it was just this sweet spot where, like, the developer's abilities and the cost to produce assets and so forth, um, uh, like, you know, just voice recording and stuff, like, you could still get away with having your friend record VO for the game. Right, and it's super cheap, possibly free, just because they were doing you a favor. Right, we were talking about Mass Effect. Right, Mass Effect. If they want to get those little character interactions, like that's time in a professional studio. It's money, right? And uh, so I really think that like 
right around the turn of the millennium is uh, was like a sweet spot in development history where you could create these triple A, you know, top tier games that were also like ridiculously expansive, um, you know, just due to the fact that you didn't have to hit a certain level of fidelity. Um, although I, I will say that when Jagged Lines 2 came out, the number one thing I heard from gamers at the time was like, this looks like a game from 1996. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Just just focusing on the year itself real quick, that period in time in, in PC gaming. Um, in our podcast, PC Gamer Podcast number 298, um, we were talking about this. And I mean, 1999 is just a crazy year for all these different genres. You've got Quake 3, Unreal Tournament, EverQuest, Counter-Strike, uh, Team Fortress Classic, um, Homeworld, I think, Age of Empires 2, System Shock 2, just crazy stuff happening. And, uh, and Jagged Alliance 2, of course, is in there too. And. And uh, 1998 had uh, StarCraft. Uh, 1998 was a big year, too, didn't it? Yeah, 19- Half, Half-Life. Yeah, and... Yeah. Uh, Grim Fandango. Falcon, yep. Falcon 4.0, I think, was 1998. Fallout 2, yep. And Elvis Centauri was, what, 99? Or... Yeah, it was 98 or 99, I think. Yeah, yeah. 99 yeah. was Alpha Centauri. Yeah, early 99, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it, was this, it was this incredible two-year period. And yeah, l- last year we did something similar on uh, Gamers with Jobs where we had like 1998 week where we just sort of <laughs> went back and pretended it was 1998 for a week. And so I did like a thing on Thief because uh, I think that came out. Uh, no. 98, uh, yep. No way. Mm-hmm. Thief came yep. out 98? Mm-hmm. But when was, when was System Shock 2? 99. Yeah, because it was before... It, yeah, because Looking Glass folded in like 2000. Um, so... Yeah, Thief would have been, yeah, ninety-eight. Okay, yeah. so 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 now I'm thinking like so so all these stories, all these games. Well, modern gaming sucks. We don't do <laughs> shit. Yeah. So, so something uh, I want to get back to is just so one of the things that makes Jagged Alliance too the reason it fascinated me so much and, and still does is uh, we've talked about this on the show from time to time that really when it comes to uh, like irregular warfare and stuff like that. Like a lot of games just don't even touch it. It's it's not a really great wargaming uh, topic mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But what I, what I love about Jagged Alliance too is that, and I wouldn't say it's a sim by any means, but but I love that it's this game where you are you are totally the insurgent. You are you are totally like leading this this you know uh, rural uprising against this oppressive tyrant and slowly bringing the entire country to bear against her, you know, capturing, you know, capturing the regime critical locations, uh, gathering more money, gathering strength and preparing for a final push on her strongholds. Uh, that, I mean, I can't, I can't really name another game that so completely captures this feeling of sort of like being out there in the bush with a small group of, you know, of, of dedicated troops and like leading this guerrilla war. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not a war game, but, uh, but Freedom Fighters comes to mind, but that's about it. Yeah, I mean, where, where else can you hire militia? <laughs> right? And, and they're crucial. Yeah, and the training of the militia too. You have to have people who have very high leadership skills so that they can, and prefer, preferably the teaching perks, so they can, right. uh, so no, they yeah. can train up I, these people. I, I totally had like an advisor program going <laughs> at the midway point of the campaign where I had a couple mercs who were who were expert teachers, and I just had them going around to uh, the strategic locations, making sure the militia kept getting trained up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Your A squad, your B squad, and your teaching squad. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and. The other thing I love too is that, um, and, and this is something else I don't think you see too much in, in, in games. I, I think 
maybe this is maybe this is generalizing too much, but it seems to me like a lot of games now are very concerned about making sure that you sort of have have a smooth progression. Like th- there are not a lot of strategy games I think that really try to sort of knock your progress back and undo it. Like Shogun Two finally did sort of crank the difficulty in in that way, but but a lot of games like Mission to Mission they they kind of steer you and make make sure you you know you're you're taking the right steps and you don't get the crap kicked out of you too much. Dragon Alliance Two was one of those games where the moment you started to feel confident, like oh my squads are pretty well armed, I think we're ready to you know I'm not going to retreat when the elite when the Queen's elite troops come, you know we're we're going to stand here and shoot it out. The moment you started thinking that way, you were about to get lit up. Um, and, and so it was one of those games where it, it was a game where you, you could have real setbacks uh, and, and some game ending setbacks I found where there, you know I just lost too many guys to continue uh, but, but, I, but I love that idea that this was a game where you capture territory but you had to be totally willing to just fade away the moment uh, you know the, the queen's troops reacted because uh, this was not a game that was ever like oh yeah go ahead and turn it into conventional war conventional war well, I think it was. Not, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, I was just going to say. I think that's it. You know, that's a that's a sort of part of that time, which is you had, uh, you know, the people who were willing to to sit through and 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 fail and and then you know redo a, a mission with from a different perspective or diff- with different tactics. I mean, that was a much larger segment of the market. I mean, I, I just uh, uh, I, I think that nobody would. You couldn't you couldn't get a, a budget to do that now because people would be they're always trying to get you to uh, to almost fail but not quite fail so that you get the sense of satisfaction and that in in Jagged Alliance mm-hmm. too I mean there were so many times where I was like God damn I'm not gonna uh, fine I'm done I'm not playing this game anymore and then you know two hours later be like okay how do I solve this mission again so I mean that's a, that's a, this is just a completely different kind of gaming it seems to me. Yeah, I mean, there's so much freedom to fail there, but I think more than that, like, again, talking about, the, um, I guess, the, like, the, the player's relationship with those characters, um, that failure and, and how frequent it can be, it kind of works well with the emotional attachment you build up with your squads. Um, and, I, and I like the way, you know, we talked about the personalities of the characters. Um, that, that, in a way, like, makes them much less disposable as they would be in XCOM, even though they sort of function the same role. I mean, uh, XCOM, I guess you can just sort of recreate um characters infinitely um but you know you you have a relationship with say i don't know scope scope was like my my snipe my sniper and she she sounds sort of like judy dench as i recall which is just (laughs) funny um and you know it's a it's a big deal if you lose her and and obviously it's it's a player decision to sort of like keep that game save and um you know keep soldiering on but at the same time there are characters there with different personalities different skill sets for you to pull from Right. Well, the XCOM characters are completely vanilla, though, right? I mean, they're, the XCOM characters are what you make them, right? You, yeah. you you name them. They don't have any dialogue. They just are there. I mean, you can't even tell them apart, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, I think that that's that's the thing that that Jagged Alliance too. Is, I mean, you've pointed everything out. Is that um, it takes? I mean, it was a really it was a very sophisticated uh, tactical, tur- you know, a, a tactical turn based combat game. I mean, there was no, that was not a dumbed-down game uh, in any way, but it also, um, you know, people kept calling it a role-playing game, and I didn't really feel like it was because there was, the the story element was completely subservient to a very, uh, a very um, dictated stri- a strategic set of, of uh, conditions that uh, were not, weren't going to be changed by any, uh, by any, by any sort of dialogue choice. But in the context of all that strategy, just a few things, just all, like you said, all those little 
little bits of dialogue and in the, in the, the barks in the middle of combat that combine to create these very memorable characters that I don't really, I don't, I can't really think of another strategy game. Definitely not a tactical strategy game like that has has uh, recreated. Well, yeah. and I I feel like um, uh, I mean when we uh, you know this this is a little pedantic, but like I think you do a great it does a great job of letting you play a role with your different characters, right? Even though yeah, it's not doesn't have all the RPG trappings and so right. forth, right? Like in order to successfully win a mission in in Jagged Alliance, you have to know what roles your different characters play, and those often tied in with their personalities and that sort of thing. Right. I mean, I, I just, uh, I remember sending um, Ivan into the woods armed with just a bunch of throwing knives and, uh, <laughs> and night vision goggles, and he just went in and took down an entire squadron of elite troops, like, one by one, just with critical hits to the back of the head with a throwing right. knife. Yeah. And uh, similarly, just dropping... You know, Reaper, another high-level loner Vietnam vet guy, just into the middle of the biggest military base outside of the Queen's compound, and uh, and him just solo taking down an entire you know base. It was, uh, 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 it, and, and he was the loner guy. You know, that was his right. job, right? Yeah. Was to be right. the loner. That's terrific. I mean, I, I love the way as you're describing there, Darius, um, the way sort of the the character's own narrative you know within the context of the mission like characters have their own narratives like like you're saying there Ivan might be totally out of his comfort zone but then he overcomes it but also the squad itself obviously has has a narrative t- you know toward victory defeat and just the way those those kind of function together is so interesting um so i i got to ask you guys how did you get how did you handle death um i i definitely uh, well, that's a that's a good question. I think it was really just whatever I felt at the time. I, I felt like if the death was um, befitting of my character, like they died doing something super awesome, or they died in a way that I thought was like ironic, like if the explosive expert just like blew himself up, um, I would often let that stand. Um, of course, I would also think about my resources available to me. Like, can I hire another replacement for this person? But um, uh, but you know, I felt I, I, I do as I, I did as I normally do in games like this, where if I feel like the death is fitting, I will let it stand. Um, uh, it's when we talked about those character relationships earlier, like a character death can have an extremely positive or negative impact on the other party members as well, depending on their relationships. Yeah, I, I think I reloaded. I, <laughs> that's just how I play games. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty sure. I'd, also, I was doing it for a review, so. Um, I was always, I was sort of had a one eye out to the the idea that uh, you know if I make a too bad a mistake maybe I'm not going to be able to finish and then I won't you know the review will be delayed although for I was writing for Games Domain at the time I think the review came out like a month after the game came out but um, but uh, there it was more that was more the case I think with with Jagged Alliance one because like we were like there were a friend of mine and I were playing together and we would just take turns and. Uh, that was kind of thing where, like, if you screwed something up, you kind of had to live with it, and then, uh, and that was actually that was actually more. Uh, I think it was more interesting. Uh, it's just that something about my personality won't let me do that with uh, when I'm playing by myself. So I have to have some kind of uh, uh, some kind of overseer to to prevent me from doing it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I reloaded ninety nine percent of the time, but the one mm-hmm. percent when it seemed appropriate, I wouldn't. Yeah, Evan. Yeah, I'm 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 in the same boat as you guys. I mean, kind of in that moment you judge acceptable losses and 
Um, you know, am I going to be able to continue my campaign? And, and of course, like you kind of have, you do have with, with within your squad, within the people you hire, like your favorites. And uh, you know, one of your favorite characters dying is a big deal. You have sort of like maybe second or third tier guys that you can let drop, and maybe it's even fun to sort of avenge them and, and carry out that mission and sort of rem- remember that. Much in the way that like I don't know, permadeath happens in Oregon Trail or something, but. Mm-hmm. Did uh, did any of you guys ever accidentally marry off one of your characters? Oh no! Wait, what? <laughs> There's a bunch of uh, like I guess for better, lack of a better word, hillbillies who live in a farm near one of the city in the middle of the map. Oh and, yeah, uh, I remember of, that. Yeah. Yes. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah they yeah. live by Cambria. And, totally um, forgot about that. Yeah, and they'll like you know they'll let you have access to their rather extensive stock of armaments if uh, if you marry off uh, one of your female characters to their clan. And, uh, Jesus Christ! Uh, yeah, and yeah. you can do it, and <laughs> yeah. and and then there's and then instead of having like the red stamp that says deceased on their portrait, they'll have a red stamp that says married on their portrait, and uh, uh, and if you pick Flo, who was one of the te- she was like the teacher character from um, from the the bumbling mercenary people, not the main yeah, AIM, yeah. but uh, like not, I forget what they're called. A Merc, Merc were they called? Or no, IMP was the was the custom one. I think they were called oh, Merc. Right. Um, I, I forget, but um, uh, but anyway, she was like this French teacher, and there was another guy who was the only competent person in that bumbling, you know, organization, and he was desperately in love with her. And if you marry her off, um, he runs away. Like he he has this unique bit of dialogue and runs off in grief. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> like you lose him forever. God, I love this game. <laughs> so so can can I ask you guys a question? I know that there, and we're gonna. There's gonna be another podcast about it, but um, if you were, what about this game? Do you think, if you were gonna make Jagged Alliance three, what elements of this game uh, do you think you could not, you couldn't duplicate in the current sort of game development environment? I'm, I'm not in the business, so I, I'm, I'm a complete. Uh, hmm. uh, and and so we're we're not talking like an indie game here. We're talking like you want to make it on the Xbox 360, and it's like no. Or, I'm know, just saying like if a, the, the the game development environment has changed. What, what yeah. kind of things that are in this game? And I don't even know what indie or not indie, but but what 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 what's what is it about Jagged Alliance Two that's 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 sort of stuck back in 1999, but is still good. Yeah. I think I think the idea that there's so much content that no player, basically no player, will ever see. Um, that's something that a lot of developers today just have a huge problem with, like, and with good reason, you know. But uh, but I think that's something that would be really hard to to to, to make a developer do. Because I always got the that's interesting because I always got the impression from this kind of. Um, uh, Sort of hidden content that you found in games that it was it was sort of a very personal relationship between the developer and the player. Sort of the developers putting stuff in there, sort of on faith that some player is going to get there and see it, right? And the more obscure or the 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 more convoluted the path to getting there, the less likely that somebody's going to find it, and so therefore there's going to be a smaller population of of players that get there, but for those who do, you sort of have this this very personal uh, sort of connection to the development team. It's like, oh wow, they put this thing here, and I don't know how many people have seen it, but now I've seen it. And uh, I wonder if that really even is, if that they even exists now. That 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 would be seen seen sort of as a failure rather than uh, rather than as a success. Well, 
from what I hear, Demon Souls has a lot of that. Really? Just to put that out there. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it's... I guess it's no surprise that it's also known as, like, an extremely... Uh, I mean, I guess in terms of its unrelenting difficulty, I've played it a little bit and I can't get very far, but uh, uh, in terms of its, like, not letting, not being afraid to let you fail, right, it seems mm-hmm. like it would fit very nicely in 1999. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like put it, like, leaving, like, little messages messages in a bottle, basically, seems like kind of a game dev thing to do, like, game designer thing to do. I mean, you know, our friend Rob Davio... Um, I mean, you know, Risk Legacy, he went out of his way to create certain certain things that th- there'd be these ridiculously low percentage shots. Mm-hmm. And I asked him once, I was like, you know, Rob, why the hell do you put this in the game? Like, you know, so one faction has a choice between two powers, and mm-hmm. one of them is going to come up. One of them will come into effect on the first roll of an attack, uh, of an attack round. Mm-hmm. And the other power is like, I calculated it out to be like a, you know, a a one in like a one in three hundred shot or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was extremely low probability. Right. And I was like, why would you even create that as a choice for a player to customize this faction? Because it's just basically going to gimp it. And he was like, well, yeah, but someone's out there, you know, someone's going to get that role, and it's going to it's it's going to they're going to be talking about it for years. And, and so it it just seems like you know a, a lot of designers seem motivated by the idea that somewhere out there. Is is someone experiencing this 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 little this little thing you put in your game that most people won't see, but but someone else did, and it's almost like it's like a private message from you to them, is is kind of how it seems. Yeah, and but I mean that that private message uh, from the developer is something that uh, well I, I go ahead. Well, I, I just think it's untenable now in the age of YouTube and, uh, you know, game blogs and uh, game mm-hmm. facts. Like, I mean, you know, when you're playing Jagged Alliance, like, I avoided the internet not because, you know, I didn't want spoilers, but because I was reaching it through a dial-up internet connection. It was just a freaking nightmare. And, like, right. you know, making AOL talk to the rest of the internet was just an adventure in itself. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I, I never saw any of this stuff. Whereas now I think it's basically unavoidable. Well, you couldn't. You you. What you're saying is you couldn't do it because people would somehow spoil it for you before you ever knew it was going to be spoiled. Right. Like. Right. Like th- these days, someone's going to spot it. It's going to. It's going to hit like NeoGAF or something, and within hours, like two or three sites have done posts on it. Right. And boom, yeah. there's the there's the surprise. Everyone's yep. got it now. Yeah. Like I was trying to not see who won the Red Wings game last night when I was out to dinner, but of course <laughs> I saw who won the Red Wings game. We sure did. Yeah. But, but in, yeah, in terms of what's uh, what might not be re- reproducible, I think um, we haven't really touched on kind of you know for I don't know for an average strategy game player or maybe a, like an introductory strategy game player, this game is kind of a bear to control. It takes a lot of input to do very simple things, um, you know, just that's just equipping, point. equipping, yeah, reloading. Point. Like, mm-hmm. are are you crouched? Are you prone? Um, are what you know? Do you want to fire a full auto single shot or uh, three shot burst? Um, so there's a lot of little decisions you have to make, and I, I would be surprised to see a game. I don't know. I, you know, I guess Frozen Synapse might be an example of that. There's a I lot was going to say, yeah, yeah fine tuning complexity. And I, and I, of course, I wonder what J2. This is a separate question. What J2 would look like with um, Frozen Synapse, sort of like very intuitive, seamless, like you know, dragging of waypoints and things like that. And, um, that that style of programming units and programming uh, decisions and movement, but. Um, you know, it's it is kind of a bear to control in that way, and built for sort of six forty by four eighty UI and things like that. So, have you have you checked out Back in Action at all, Evan? 
I played at a preview event. And I have it. I have it downloaded right now, but I haven't so, played it yet. So it does have a little queuing system uh, where right. you do set up moves in a way that is actually very reminded me a lot of Frozen Synapse, and that's actually what I liked best about it. I know we're not talking about back in action in this podcast, but in terms of a modern version of JA2, I think that is one. That's one thing that, that back in action did absolutely right was sort of uh, the the whole you know Frozen Synapse type set up your unit orders and then execute them all at once. Well, yeah, so I, I, I think because I think we're getting closer to the tactical level. The thing I'd say you you wouldn't see reproduced in all likelihood is the sheer amount of ineffective uh, exchanges of fire you had in that game. <laughs> like this was a game that it was totally like you know what, you know like the, the vast majority, like you know ninety ninety nine point nine eight percent of shots exchanged in the firefight aren't going to hit home. And Jagged Alliance 2 is kind of cool with that reality. So you're going to have firefights where people are just like, you know, pinging each other from, you know, from long range or something with rifles, and just shots will fly by, and this is all turn-based, so there's a single shot at a time, yeah. that's and part, nobody that's part is of the reason, contact. That's part of the reason why it feels like uh, um, an insurgent, an insurgency game, you know? It, it really feels like guerrilla warfare, just people taking pot shots at each other from behind palm trees, you know? Yeah, it's very messy. But no... Knowing that, it makes the game actually much more of a. It makes the game much more fluid because you can move much better. If, and, in a, yes, uh, if, actually, it reminds me a little bit of Far Cry Two in that, like when I was playing Far Cry Two, I felt like almost like I was playing a real-time one-person Jagged Alliance in that mm-hmm. I was just kind of like running around wildly taking pot shots, and the setting's kind of similar. It was, oh my god, I would I would kill someone for a Far Cry 2 Jagged Alliance 2 like, combination <laughs> game. Like, good god, oh my god. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. But that I mean that that's just like in Frozen Synapse that you know if 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 they if somebody goes through the the little you know vector or whatever the the line of fire that you've you've uh, set there's a very high probability they get killed right. um, because that's part of that game mechanic is that you know setting up the appropriate uh, fire lanes is is the goal right everything's uh, very lethal in that game it, once you set it up properly exactly exactly and so uh, and 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 that's a completely I mean that's a completely different type of gameplay. Um, and, um, you know, you would, the, the, the fact that the, 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 um, gunplay is so much less lethal in Jagged Alliance 2 makes it that much more, I mean, it it puts so much more emphasis on your supply and having enough ammunition and, and all that kind of stuff that, uh, I mean, it so much flows out of that. And like I said, the, the, the kind of the mobility and the being able to move around, I mean, just out of that one design decision, you have, the, the rest of the game plays completely different. Well, and it, and it makes it means things like um, like gas grenades and so forth become like extremely crucial to your strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, you know you can be guaranteed that a gas grenade will at least fill a room with gas. You know, right. like that's a hundred percent chance. So like right. things like that become much more. Whereas in, in a lot of games similar to this, I find myself just avoiding grenades. You know, uh, and that sort of thing, and just focusing on shooting the people in the head. Right. Um, yeah, that's the, a great point. And what's um, uh, and, but it also becomes just so satisfying once you've actually trained up a sniper who's really good or you've purchased someone who's really good and you get them that, you know, Dragunov rifle and mm-hmm. you've got them, uh, you got them a tripod and a laser sight and they're just perched up on a, on a building and they can see the entire battlefield and, and they're just getting headshot after headshot after headshot and you feel like a minor deity of, of dealing of death, you know, right. uh, 
uh, and you don't get you you don't feel that way in a higher power game. But Although, who was the guy? Who was the guy that that once he got a target, sometimes would just lock on? Was it Carlos or was it Ivan? Oh God! Like, he, 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 would, think, he would he he wouldn't I, stop shooting. It was Carlos because Carlos was, was actually yeah. insane. He actually has the character trait insane. Yeah, he would be like, "Stop! Uh, shut up! I'm busy!" or something like that. And he would just you you try to retarget him. He would just keep shooting at the same guy. Or maybe it was Fidel. It might have been Fidel. Oh, Fidel. Yeah, it was Fidel, because he's, yeah, he's actually insane, and Ivan hates Fidel, so don't put them together. <laughs> so, but, but going back to the example of the guy with the Dragunov sniper rifle, the other thing I love about sort of the, the, high, the high level play with the high end weaponry is that, that the rewards of that are so perfectly set up by the fact that long before you can afford that type of equipment, and before your mercs are good enough, the, Marie, the Queen's elite guard show up. And so at the start of the game, you're fighting her, basically her scratch troops, her, her B team, mm-hmm. and uh, they're the red shirts, right? And, and so you're just kicking their asses, because they're basically armed with like pistols and shotguns and maybe the odd SMG. They're lightly armored, they're not very good, and your squad's just cutting them up, you know, cutting into pieces. But once you hit this tipping point... Uh, and and I, I'm not sure if it's is it tied to a specific location. Is it is it when the second mine falls or something? Yeah, I think it's after you capture like your first major mine or town. Right. She. Uh, so Queen Deidreana wakes up to the threat. And you get a cutscene like send send out the guard or something. Oh, with like poor Elliot. <laughs> oh God, Elliot. These these cutscenes. This this poor nebbish little assistant. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but so the Queen's guard shows up and the, and they're the, they're the black shirts and they're wearing like you know full body camo and they've painted their faces and they show up with like heavy body armor. Um, the first assault rifles you're going to see in the game, the first sniper rifles you're going to see in the game, occasionally, like, night vision goggles. And so the, the first, you know, you, just, when, just when you're starting to feel good about the progress you're making, you know, you get, you get hit with a counterattack. And, uh, you know, so the, the way this happened for me is I was defending a, a, an anti-aircraft, a SAM site. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was, I was trying to hold that so I had the, could use my helicopter to ferry my troops around the northern part of this island. And so I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to stand here and, you know, fight these bastards. And, uh, you know, it was a night attack. And I was like, my guys have been kicking ass at night. This is going to be great. Like, you know, they're going to get right up in our faces and they're going to blow them away. And just these guys show up. And it, it was like my guys couldn't see anything. Shots were coming from the woods. People were dropping, like, headshots. I'd finally see somebody and just unload on them. And the body armor would just soak it all up. <laughs> so there's this whole phase of the game where basically I had to, I had to once again, like, stop, you know, stop trying to shoot it out. And I had to go back into complete guerrilla ambush mode because I could not face these guys. And so that's when, like, by the time you're able, you, by the time you have mercs with the gear and the abilities to go toe-to-toe with these guys, it's so much sweeter because that's, like, the shoe is on the other foot. And now you bastards are going to die. Hmm. Um, and I don't know. It just, I, I just, I just love how the game hmm. set, set that reward up by having these guys just steamroll you so hard. Yeah, I mean, I think if anything, there, there, J2 is a game with just tons of uncertainty. I mean, we talked about the inaccuracy of the weapons, um, but the way that uncertainty sort of functions with creating surprises. I mean, stumbling into an enemy or opening a door, like, there, you know, there could be anything in there. There could be a guy with a shotgun. There could be, um, and, I, and I don't know if, if you guys have an opinion on, on the lack of um, fog of war in uh, back in action. Oh, I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But um, it's it was definitely a game that was I mean kind of not afraid to be unbalanced at some points, but definitely like like Rob was saying, like set up that long term reward where you really over overcame it, and you know having the certainty of 
a well-trained sniper with 100 marksmanship that can like that's your guy for this situation and designating him for certain situations like that had you know having that history packing that character throughout the campaign and preserving them and developing them is, is such a rare experience in any squad based game i think yeah so now there's not fog of war in in back in action no <laughs> Bruce, you, Bruce can is see, stunned. you can see every enemy on the field like you don't have line of sight on them but you can just see them on the map they're it's, there yeah. it's it's really? truly a bad. It's thing it's like let's let's take let's get rid of fog of war in Starcraft, right? That 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 wouldn't do anything to the game. It's, that's bizarre. Why? That's a bizarro decision. Well, and and the sad like it, it's and this will be a topic for another show. But so the other day, like I'm I'm shooting out with this dude, and he ducks out because he knows he's being flanked. He ducks out and he goes around and he vanishes behind the building. Mm-hmm. And now he could move in a couple directions here and like possibly flank one of my guys and waste him. Mm-hmm. And in old Jagged Alliance, Jagged Alliance 2, this shit would happen all the time, and it was like right. ridiculously tense. You'd lose contact, and that's where the terror began. Where right. the hell did that guy go? Exactly, yeah. This game, it's like, oh, let me just rotate the camera. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's standing out there, there with a chicken coop. One of, the, one of the unintended consequences of that is I think the AI looks a lot dumber than it probably is. I was reading some reviews of Back in Action. People were complaining about how stupid the AI is, but uh, I, would, I would argue that it might not even be stupid AI. It's just that you can see what the AI is doing at all times and assess, with your perfect information, assess whether or not the AI is doing a good job or not. Whereas in a situation like in JA2 where you don't, the, the enemy just disappears and you're like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, like basically at that point anything the enemy does seems brilliant because you weren't yeah. expecting it well that i mean that's that's a crazy i mean i, I was i i looked today at um uh just a trailer from the e3 i mean i haven't followed any of the back in action stuff at all but it didn't seem like th- that they had eliminated fog of war is that some kind of thing that they they made a decision later because they um i mean if, if that's the case i mean the whole the whole point of the of the first two games was exactly that tactical problem. So if they eliminated it, I don't know how they what they what they put in its in its place. But I mean, I feel when I play when I play the new game, I just feel in control of the situation at all times, which is not Jagged Alliance. It's a, no, it's, a it's nice, not. It's, 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 it can be a nice game. This I don't is a little a, bit you know, more but, Rainbow yeah. Sixy, maybe, where it's like yeah. my guys are coming over the fence and they're gonna kick your ass, and that, and yeah, they do. Um, well, maybe they just maybe they just have satellites or something and they can tell everything. <laughs> It's true. It's been up this is this is the yeah. they're all on Google Latitude now. They just yeah. look at their they look at their drones. Map it's all it's all drones. <laughs> yeah. So so one of the one of the other things, um, you know, so, so what you're talking about, Evan, about just how finicky this game was. This was a game that everything like the stance of your mercenaries was so important. Like what sort of cover they had. Like you had to have these guys in the exact right square, lying you know lying behind a pillar in the exact right way. To get the correct line of sight, where you're, you know, where you can shoot out, but you're mostly covered, and it was also a game that made that those kind of adjustments as difficult as humanly possible. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, yeah. you talk about like having to reload, you know, in, in cases of death, but this was a game where you had to keep saves. Just like, okay, finally got that guy in that position, and okay, now I'm gonna save because that was that was a pain in the ass. Because sometimes, like, the worst thing would be when a guy was li- was lying down. And you'd want to adjust position. And it looks like you should just be able to sort of shift and wiggle, like, to the left or something. And so you tell him, like, okay, yeah, so, so shift over here. And suddenly a guy just begins, like, writhing around like a wounded seal pup or something like that. <laughs> and, like, you just watch. Like, all his action points just vanish. Like, he's done. He's done. And I was just, like, sprawled. 
<laughs> sprawled out in front of in front yeah. of everyone. So he's just like a, he's just a you know a target for the enemy. Uh, and then this was like this is a game that I think it culminated in like sort of room to room fighting, right? Yeah, yeah, in the Queen's Palace. Oh yeah. god, yeah. Oh god Almighty! And yeah. that's and and that's this is why I did not beat the game as much as I love it. And I've played I played the first like three quarters of this game probably six times, something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Never beat the game. In part because I couldn't handle death, uh, but in part just good god after a certain point from drops yeah. hospital on it gets really there's rough. there's a uh, uh, when you when you do that final assault on the last city you know it's uh, it just gets so difficult I remember um, you know if you know what to expect you can spend your entire game preparing for it so I would like have specific whenever I get an anti-tank weapon or whatever I would just set it aside in like a special cache and you know <laughs> like and like I'd have a whole like like chest yeah. full of these things and then right. when it was time for the final assault I would break it open and arm everybody with two or three li- like laws you know um, mm-hmm. uh, but um uh, and I would use those not just to take out tanks, but also to just blow out walls. That was one of the cool things. You had destructible, scen- completely destructible scenery in most cases. Yeah. And so if I thought it was a little bit too close corners, I would just fire a rocket at those corners. And all of a sudden, I'm dealing with a much more open room now. Um, right. But um, but the, the brilliant thing was there was, a, there was a role-playing way to get around that stuff, too. There's like a secret... Um, remote control you can find if you interrogate and kill the right people in the Queen's Garden, which is one of the easier maps, and if you go to the center of her hedge maze and use the remote, you get a secret tunnel that leads right to the fireplace in the Queen's bedroom, and you can just kind of pop out and kill her like that, wow. too. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it was, the way around it is there if you're patient enough to look for it, or you know, look it up on the internet, but I think I just played it obsessively enough times that I figured it out, but... So, so Darius, I'm really curious as you know, as a, a lifelong fan almost of the game. Um, <laughs> what what are your thoughts on uh, the 1.13 mod? Um, I think 1.13 is great. Um, I don't play it because I specifically play it for that experience. Uh, yeah. I like to I like to re-experience what I experienced the first time. Um, I think I played through 1.13 once. And it's great. I think it, I think they did a really good job um, with it. Uh, and if I ever got tired of Jagged Alliance one one two, I would go ahead and play one one three. But I don't think so, I'll ever get tired. So what changes does one one three? Oh my goodness. Oh really? Okay. There's yeah. a yeah. lot of changes. Other. Yeah. So it's it's it's. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Darius. It's probably fair to consider one one three like the like community expansion, like the community update. Like it's, yeah, it a lot of the, like, a lot of the updates mm-hmm. were actually folded into Unfinished Business, which was the official expansion. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's it, it's major. So, you know, it, it starts with stuff like higher resolution, so you can play it at 1024 by 768. Um, talking about difficulty, it adds a, a higher difficulty level, I guess, called Insane, with, uh, where, like, Deidreana has uh, unlimited reinforcements and, like, 50% more elites and things like that. Um, let's see, there's, like... There's, there's a, weather, I'm actually, like, looking effects. over... Yeah, there's, yeah. Um, uh, there's a big... AI upgrade, like more flanking and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. I think there's like new weapon attachments. There's like uh, suppressors. There's new ammo types. Uh, I mean, there, there's a ton of new weapons and stuff. I can't remember how many there are. I guess actually like... That seems like Cole's the new castle though, because yeah. Jagged Alliance 2 was gun porn in a lot of ways too, yes. right? Like, I mean, it mm-hmm. had just... Well, it had the tons of guns setting when you when you started a game. You could do... Yeah, you could choose that. Guns. Yeah, that or the... the yeah. What are the, the less guns? Yeah, normal, normal. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! So, so, ba- so basically, one one three is just like more of everything. 
it's yeah it's, yeah, it's more of everything mm-hmm. and harder <laughs> oh, um you know because you needed it to be harder um and uh but also it did some things um it added um a line of sight map that was actually put in unfinished business so you would when you clicked on a character and you were aiming it would actually show you it would it would light up all the grid spaces you could shoot to and it would give you red green or yellow um, so you could actually do better tactical planning, uh, like that was a, as opposed to having to mouse over every possible target and seeing you know what the probabilities were. Hmm. Right. It also gives you the the option to create, um, I think, more than one IMP character. If I'm if I'm correct, like, I'm sort of have this. There's like there's multiplayer yeah. too. Yeah. There's co-op. I haven't played that, but jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I will have to try this. It's <laughs> it's elaborate. Where Where do you stand on Evan? That's actually, I mean, uh, other than 1999, I, I re- you know, most recently I played J2 about a year ago for one of our articles in PC Gamer, and it was sort of, you know, 113 is what I've heard about and sort of my excuse to re-explore the game, and it, it's definitely harder for sure, but I, th- I I love what it does to the interface. It adds, like, a lot more um, keyboard shortcuts and things like that, which I like to rely on, um, and, you know, I, I, did, I just, like I was just mentioning with uh, making additional IMP characters, I liked... You know, sort of that XCOM capability of throwing like three of my own custom characters named after I don't know, you know, characters from Predator, um, because the setting's a little appropriate, <laughs> and mm. um, you know, changing their stats in a way that I feel is appropriate, and you know, sort of teaming them up with uh, the existing mercs in the game, and you know, pushing on. I get involved in a lot of conversations on Twitter about, oh, if I want to replay, if I want to play JA2 for the first time, what should I do? And the general consensus seems to be that I think most people who jump into JA2 for the first time these days jump into 113, actually. Not, I think I think I got I think I owe it to myself to finally beat the bastard on 112, <laughs> but we'll we'll see about just, that. Just just surrender. It's easy. Yeah. That, no. No. I, 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 this time I can do it. I can do it honestly. Uh, and I've got you're the time you're older it. and wiser now, so that's true. Uh, impatience did kill me a lot in J two. Like midway through the campaign, I really started on moving, moving things, wanted to move things ar- along, and that's when you really should actually be the most patient. I mean, when you play the when you play that game for the second time and you kind of know what's coming, you are an order of magnitude better off than you were the first yeah. time. Uh, like you can you can just I mean I will. I will do things like um, buy a bunch of top-tier mercs and only hire them for a day instead of um, the seven days or the 14 days, which I never did when I first started because, like, why would I want this merc for a day? But I know how effective those guys are, so I would just grab three of, like, the most expensive mercs for one day, which I could afford with the starting cash, and they would just blow through the first, like, the first two areas and secure everything and, you know, get me a source of income and... uh, yeah. Uh, and and then I was able to sort of like go back and like you know let those guys lapse. I might keep one of them on and then hire the lower tier mercenaries. Oh god! See, I was shuffling all around a roll co trying to train Ira to be a decent goddamn medic and soldier. The, and yeah, the oh. only thing Ira will ever be is a teacher herself. <laughs> <laughs> I just want I, I want to mention real quick too some of the ammo types in one one three which are pretty specific and terrific. There's like lockbuster ammos for shotgun for blowing open doors. There's depleted uranium <laughs> ammo. Um, there's uh, let's see. There's there are tracer rounds. There's actually like illuminate, if I remember correctly. Oh man. Um, yeah, pretty pretty this fancy was, specific this, stuff. This this game's uh, level of detail on guns was such. I mean, it's an abstract system, but I remember um, one time someone started talking about just the AK-47, right, and like what it's good for and what it's not good for, and I just 
joined in on the conversation as though I had ever fired or like <laughs> even read about an AK-47, but I was like, oh yeah, no, they're great, they're easy to maintain, like there's not a lot of moving parts in them, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> that was, and it was solely from my in- inferences that I made from playing Jagged Alliance 2. I, I, I swear, somebody on that team, though, must have been like the biggest guns and ammo and soldier fortune, like, nut imaginable just because like the the sheer number of weapons like i mean it was it basically every single every single small arms that's been made since like 1945 up through 1999 was like in that game yeah i mean that team at surtech uh did a ton of research for all their games so even if they weren't gun nuts before they started i guarantee you they bought every issue of guns and ammo ever and uh you know just, just, just piled it on their desks and just immersed well, themselves in that stuff. And, and going back to like things that you couldn't do these days. Um, so I remember once I'm in, a, I'm in a gun battle where, um, so I, I was, I was loading up. It, I was using a weapon that used um, Warsaw Pack seven six two millimeter ammunition. And but it was like it was like an eight shot or a ten shot rifle, mm-hmm. and. Um, no, no, it was an automatic. So it was like it was it was like a thirty round clip, and yep. I had scavenged uh, these rifle rounds off this off this guy with like a, a with with like a um, with like an SKS or something, mm-hmm. and it's that's like an eight shot clip. So, but I've got this stack of like hundreds of rounds of seven six two, in in eight round clips, and so I'm just like okay, but I've got plenty of ammo, and I go to reload in the middle of firefight, so I can keep like laying down heavy 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 suppression fire, mm-hmm. and eight shots go into the clip. And that's when I learned, kids, that before battle, you've got to take you've got to take all your ammo out of its clips and put it in the right kind of clip for the right yep. kind of ammo if you want it useful for, <laughs> if you want it useful format. So between battles, I'd be sitting there playing this magazine filling mini game where it's like, okay, anyone else got any more nine millimeter? No, okay, we're good. Thirty round yeah. clips done. Okay. There's um. Uh, you, you're just reminding me of all the other weird things you could do with inventory in that game. You could combine, like it was, it was there, there was an adventure game undertone to it too, where you could combine inventory items that that seemed like they could combine just by like control clicking, and you would create something new. There was an entire MacGyver-esque crafting mini game where, no. if you, where yeah, where if you had enough duct tape and glue and yes. paper clips, yeah, like that. you could actually use all those and like you know create a little um, modification for your for your gun that would make the, the, the cliff lighter or would make the trigger uh, you know um, easier or or things like that um, and it got to the point like it, you could take it to the point where I think there's like in the sci-fi mode there's like a robot like the little robot character <laughs> that you can you can essentially build and mod out like um, uh, you can you can create bombs with like chewing gum and enough uh, you know other weird ingredients like so clearly someone was was like a big MacGyver fan too because mm. there's you can you can role play as MacGyver oh, if you God. have See enough that? mechanical skill. Now I've got to go back because I just threw that stuff away because I get tired of carrying. Yeah, you think around. it's yeah you think it's junk, but it's yeah. not. There's oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, so I do have to I do have to wind it down here, but clearly we could talk all night about Dragon <laughs> Alliance too, because there's just yes. that much going on in the game. Uh, which that's why you should all pick it up from good old games uh, if you if you don't already own if you don't already own it. Because um, yeah, okay, I've learned so much from this show from from a game that I thought I, I knew pretty well, but good God, turns out Dragon Alliance too. I hardly knew you. <laughs> um, in just a second, guys, I, I want to ask you uh, for either your best or your most painful Dragon Alliance two memory. 
Uh, but first, I want to remind listeners that next week they can hear us talk about Jagged Alliance back in action. Uh, not sure who we'll have for that, but I'm sure it'll be a barn burner. Uh, Darius, would you be interested in that? Yeah, I would love to. I, I'm, I'm hoping to play enough of it this week that I can have a really fully formed opinion. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so look forward to having you back. Uh, as always, our thanks go out to Michael Hermes for producing this episode of Three Moves Ahead. Uh, so, Darius, let's start with you. Uh, agony or ecstasy? Um, I guess it was agony for the character, but it was ecstasy for me. Um, so, I, I, I've written about this before, but it's just, it sticks with me so much. Uh, there's a character that you can buy at the very beginning of the game. He's super cheap, and he has a really high uh, medical skill. Um, I think it's Barry, I forget. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and his bio says, you know, uh, he learned his combat medicine, you know, the new school way in a classroom you know, with textbooks. Um, and okay, fine, great. He's got awesome stats. I'll buy him. So I, I purchase him. Uh, and we go and we enter the first, we get into our first real gunfight. And, um, uh, first of all, he like kind of freezes up in combat, but then the moment he sees his first dead body, he actually like throws up. And I think his little character even has a little vomiting animation. At least it was well voice acted, but I wouldn't be surprised if there oh were a little God. vomiting animation. Hmm. And he's just he's just throwing up when he sees this first his first dead body, and he's useless basically forever after that. Like like that's that's Barry's purpose as a character is to um, you know get get severely traumatized by seeing a dead body. Um, wow. Uh, yeah. So that was just, I was just <laughs> floored when that happened. Awesome. Okay. Uh, Bruce. You're asking me to pull pull back uh, 13 years 13 year old memories. I think <laughs> the, only, the only thing I can remember is that how um, I was uh, somewhat uh, taken aback by the whole brothel thing, but I had known that uh, in the European version, apparently, the brothel is a little bit more explicit than in the American version. And uh, I was sort of disappointed that, uh, you know, I got uh, I got the G-rated version of, uh, of the uh, Jagged Alliance 2, um, uh, what is it, Mustang Ranch. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's a smiley face that winks at you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a little. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe I can uh, get the uh, European patch. It's kind of like <laughs> The Witcher. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, The Witcher. All right, uh, Evan. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a long anecdote, but there, there's just so many like, small moments that happen. Uh, sort of as a result of the fidelity, we talked about the complexity of the weapon systems and whatnot, and. Um, all the attachments and just ammo types, but like things like you know running into a room and having your gun jam and just get getting blown away um, uh, because your mechanical skill is too low on that character. Um, uh, stuff like you know having having a character in a doorway and then having them go prone because they're out of ammo and then having another character like snipe over their head to kill the guy behind oh, them. Like man, yeah. it, it just creates like these these moments of ownership that really feel yours and really feel like they're your decision. Um, they're narrative-like, but you sort of created them with your actions, and that's uh, that's a rare thing in any game, I think. All right, so the the story that probably sticks with me as as one of the sweetest. It was sort of this: I'd marched my troops uh, south, you know, into, into sort of the more strategically important cities of uh, Arulco, and it'd been a failed attack. And now my guys were being stalked by a large troop of uh, Queen's Guard elite troops. Uh, and I I was nowhere near being able to take these guys on. So I just started, and they started stalking my squad at night. 
and uh, they have night vision goggles. I can't I can't stand there and shoot it out with them. So I just start retreating, but they are following. So like every like five minutes, whenever you'd enter a new grid section, uh, my guys would start like because it took time on the strategic map for your squad to cycle through that grid sector and then leave. And so each time you get getting pulled down into tactical combat mode. And it wouldn't switch to combat because nobody could see each other. But I'd have to walk my guys off the map and move on to the next new moves on, move on to the next space. And so during the night, like you know, at one point my guys are attacked by blood cats. Remember those? Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're just walking along and there's like these like leopards or some sort of mountain lion shit that's coming out of nowhere. <laughs> and you have to like it's it's like ghost in the darkness type stuff. Uh, stand in a circle and just shoot outwards. So my guys are exhausted, but like they they live to see the dawn. But they're not going to get away, and finally I'm just like, screw it. And so they enter this new sector, it's this dense forest, immediately I go into that map, and I array them in this big semicircle, uh, facing south from where the, the Queen's Guards troops are going to be entering. And I just wait. Now, if I, if I get this wrong, they're screwed, but I guessed right. And so when the Queen's Guard troops caught up with us, uh, my guys were already arrayed in a big ambush formation, and they walked straight into this crossfire. And it was like the first time I'd really turned the table on these guys. Like I didn't have as good weapons, I didn't have the, didn't have the best mercs, but they were just like a big knot of elite elite enemy troops walked straight into the middle of the semicircle, and we just hammered them like with everything, like the SKS, the you know MP5s on full auto, and we just shelled them to death. Grenades exploding everywhere, and uh, just like within you know three or four turns, like every single one of these bastards was dead. And then it was just like. It was like a yard sale, a military yard oh, sale. Oh yeah! Out there. It was like, <laughs> all right, we're going back south. We're going to win this war right now. Um, didn't work out that way, but it was, it was, it was this amazing. Like, you know, first we survived that night, and then it was like the end of a vampire movie, right? We're like, okay, now, now, now the sun's coming up. Um, and so, yeah, it just it it stays with you after all these years. And uh, again, like Jagged, that's Jagged Alliance, though. It's just one of those one of those story machines, like you were saying, Evan. Yeah, I mean, and it's. I mean, what did the game really do to put forth that narrative? Like, it didn't. You know, there was no dialogue really, other than just the sort of automatically generated stuff your characters say here and there. You created that entire context yourself, like with, like you said, your, your characters were tired, so they had low stamina. It was night, so time of day. It's just it's the mechanics working together, and you sort of assign the value yourself, and that's a really beautiful immersion thing. Yeah, it's but, what already happens in a game like XCOM, except that, that with those characters that have that extra bit of personality and a little bit of autonomy, I think makes it pushes it into a special place. But I think if you if you had some great story that was part of the game that uh, you know everybody went through, I think it would it wouldn't be memorable in any way, right? Because no matter how interesting that story was, I think that the the thing that that makes it so Interesting, for example, what uh, Rob just described, I mean, the fact that it's personal. Yeah, Nobody, I mean, in, nobody in, else in a, had that thing. In a, in a Bethesda game, you don't talk about the awesome main quest with your friends, right? You talk about the random thing that happened right, out exactly. in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and a lot of it takes place in your mind. I mean, I, I always like to think of uh, the good things like isometric uh, perspective and, and sprites do for making the characters feel like little action figures. And for me, like, Jagged Alliance is that same experience I'd have, like, <laughs> when I was four in my living room and, like, you know, I'm I'm thinking about angles with my GI Joe, you know, and oh, he's going prone now, so that means he can do this. Like, it, it, it so much of it is just cerebral, and and yeah. Oh man, I just had a flashback to uh, 
when my mom would put the snow village out under the tree. <laughs> and out came the army men instantly. And every single Christmas, like, snow village was out for all of, like, two hours before it turned into, like, a Belgian town in the winter of 1944. God, was, 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 was that ever a, an Easter egg in the army man games? Because that would have been so cool. Oh, that would have been great. Um, but anyway, yeah, thanks for this wonderful trip down uh, memory lane, fellas. And... Um, I hope to have at least you back, Darius, next week to talk about uh, Back in Action. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for listening. And uh, say goodnight, everybody. Good night. Good night, guys. Thanks, Rob.